everybody thinks vulnerability uh, is a weakness. <laughs> I think it's the biggest strength you have. And I think the ability to uh, expose your vulnerability is an even bigger strength. People who work for me, I wasn't measured by how much smarter than them I was. I was measured in my own eyes. I was measured by how successful they became. Welcome to Absolutely Right India's first graphology based leadership show. On this podcast while I interview some high performers, you get to learn some interesting unheard leadership lessons, some tried and tested hacks for your mental and emotional fitness, and some deep insights into who you are, how you think, how you behave, how you make your decisions based on graphology and coaching related conversations. I'm your host Aditi Surana. I'm a behavioral analyst, high performance coach and founder of India's first mental gym called Apt. The website is aptmentalgym.com. Our guest on the show today spoke about calmness and empathy in a different manner. She said, "Can you calmly disagree with somebody without being disrespectful? In order to do that, you need empathy to connect with them." And empathy is generally found in the meditation halls or counseling rooms or in coaching conversations. But it's high time that empathy reaches boardrooms where you make every business decision with responsibility and empathy. One thing I can assure that her unique perspectives will blow your mind as it did to me. Our guest Tripti Lochan is a co-CEO of VMLY in our Asia. While managing the strategic vision, growth and operations for the company, Tripti is also involved in her passion for sustainability. She is also an advisor of Global Initiatives, a company dedicated to driving awareness of some of the biggest sustainability challenges facing the world today. Make sure that you keep your notepad handy with a handwriting sample that you have already written because graphology which is a study of handwriting stroke the graphs your handwriting strokes create on the paper to talk about your personality will be surprisingly accurate as you might be aware of the third season has two new added segments one is called coach the coach where i talk about some coaching tricks and hacks that every leader must practice and pursue and the second is called the stroke of graphology where i would be talking about one handwriting stroke that would reveal some interesting information about you without further ado let me invite tripti and let's get started welcome to absolutely right tripti this is a pleasure it was so amazing to know someone like you especially in the field that you are in and yesterday we had a brief conversation about a few interesting stories from your past and i'm moved i am actually inspired uh, knowing that you continued the process so over to you thank you so much for having me uh, on your podcast it's a pleasure uh, to interact with all of you i mean for all the work we you are doing and uh, how you're trying to reach young people and mm-hmm. inspire and bring them forward so mm-hmm. really excited for our session together Do you know anything about graphology? Have you ever got your handwriting analyzed? Do you know anything of this behavioral assessment? You know, when I was in grade seven, and I won't tell you how many years ago that was. <laughs> okay, I won't ask. <laughs> in school, we had a graphology um, interpreter come to school, really? and they charged us thirty rupees. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm giving away. <laughs> I'm giving away <laughs> my age. 
<laughs> yeah, we had that happen, and uh, I did get an interpretation. But I am very sure I've changed a lot since then. And <laughs> so, it's not very far, but we hear you. Yeah. <laughs> The first thing that came to my mind when I looked at your handwriting is the way you connect each letter to the other. The formation is soft and angular at the same time. So, for example, if you have to pay attention to the way you connect your K to I or letter E to let next letter T, the, the way the line moves from one end to the other has slight angular. But it's not very sharp and very harsh angular. It's soft and angular, and I want to talk about it now. Anybody whose connection is like that is objective. Would constantly look at the results needed. If it would have been very harsh, then the person could have been extremely uh, result oriented to a point of not having empathy. But the fact that you have these strokes soften in many many places talks about you will have the sense of empathy, but you will not move away from the results that you have in mind or you have already discussed. So people, uh, when they come to you and talk about their issues and emotional concerns, you provide support. But if they use that to, in a way, get away out of the conversation or responsibility, that's not happening. <laughs> that's, that's really apt in the way you put it, because I think that's been repeated to me a few times. <laughs> okay. So do, do you have any example, any story that, that comes to your mind? Um, so, you know, in the last, um, not really a story, but, uh, you know, we used to be doing these awards in the office mm -hmm. and um, I would consistently get uh, called out for two things. One, I, was, I would always get the Zen award, right? And the Zen <laughs> award is for people who don't lose their cool at the worst times. Um, and I think that's from empathy, really, uh, because you're like, okay, you know, you understand people's point of view. But then I would get the, uh, it wasn't an award, but a call out, which was Tripti can stare at people through phone lines award, which is <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> I can imagine that. And, and that little tone, uh, like shift in tone of voice, or when you become assertive, yeah. People who work with you just know that they are crossing yeah. the line. Yeah, they, they're stepping on in a zone that they should not. And I think that's only a sign of a good leadership. And nonverbal communication is established very, very well. <laughs> when you when you look at your future, uh, you always think about at least seven to ten years down the line. And that's not only about personal ideas of future, even when you're working, you would not do anything short term, anything in the moment because you're excited about it. You let that excitement pass and wait for things to play out in your mind and probably create that mind map or create that larger idea where all the steps that you take would be implemented in a certain way. Obviously, things don't turn out exactly the way you envisage, but if I may say so, at least 60 to 80% of those ideas have come true. And that's why as a leader, it helps you look at things and people rely on your opinion a lot. Yeah, and I think that goes with my um, personal beliefs because I, um, I'm a Buddhist, so big believer in reincarnation and taking life forward from one life to the other. So there's nothing that you do that, you know, you sweep under the carpet in this life, you have to know that it will come back to you at some point. And 
that gives you a perspective of millions of lives. So, you know, the timeline of how your thinking does change and you think of larger impact, I think. Wow. Uh, yeah. Are you saying that even when you're making your business decisions, yeah. you begin this, this thought process in? Yeah. I think, Aditi, you know, you don't really, there are no sections to your personality. You know, you, you are who you are and you take a version of that in the in the workplace that you're in but it never really separates from you uh you know in any way and that's why they say women make such phenomenal leaders because they have to multitask at home and they know how to bring that to work they don't put that away in the office you know it's a part of who you who you are it's uh, some of the muscles that have got developed in your character uh, whether that's around resilience or um, it's on, around accepting challenges and making your way forward. You don't remove um, who you are outside of work from when you come to work. People don't have usually, I mean, there are cases when people do, but mostly people don't have two specific different personalities. Uh, they bring all of them to work, I like to believe. And I think um, that includes everything that you are outside of work as well, your personal beliefs, how you interact, whether you care about the environment, all of those things are part of who you are. And, uh, you know, you bring all of that um, to your day-to-day -day interactions um, at work as well. So if so, you're working in a team or working with people under leaders who do not appreciate, say, your beliefs or the way you function. And I have, I've met many people who stay in that conflict for a very long time because they know they truly have certain beliefs or certain ideas because these ideas won't be appreciated in the workspace. They either push them under the carpet, they hide or they do not talk about it. What do you think a person like that who is dealing in a situation can do here? Um. I think that one thing uh, that I always think about is that everyone is um, the hero or the heroine of their life story. Right. You know, they are the central character and they are the ones that are the most important part of their lives. Right. And if we can just empathetically be thinking about their point of view, you know, it's like, what are they thinking? How are they feeling about what's going on? There's actually no objectively bad person um, in the world. If you think about it from their perspective, you think about the person who's most challenging to you, you know, um, at work. But they are a father, they are a husband, they are a son, and they're not bad in those relationships. Mm -hmm. And I imagine that some of what they're doing is misguided, uh, mm -hmm. you know, is sometimes not thinking of a greater whole, but perhaps being more self-centered. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's all it is. You know, even prisoners are given an opportunity to mm -hmm. reform. Forget mm -hmm. about small mistakes and big mistakes that we work at work, you know, we do at work. So I think it's very important to just be empathetic to people um, and help them to see that there are versions of the story that don't necessarily coincide with them you know their story it's, it's not necessarily wrong awful concept that you said that you know help other people see the other versions possible now here is my question that if you think the boss that you're dealing with or people in your team are unwilling to do that how yeah. do you how do you bridge that gap what exactly uh, can a person do it comes with the 
years and years of practice and being able to communicate to people um, with with sometimes your own vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody thinks vulnerability uh, is a weakness. No, um, it's a great strength. <laughs> I think it's the biggest strength you have. And I think the ability to uh, expose your vulnerability is an even bigger strength. Mm-hmm. And bigger than that is the ability to communicate, hey, um, I feel like this when you do this, you know, mm-hmm. not making it objectively about you are wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not wrong. You might, you might be right. But when you do X, Y, and Z, you make so-and-so feel, you know, and it doesn't make the responsibility just rest with the doer, mm-hmm. but makes them kind of feel like, okay, so I might be doing the right thing, but this person's vulnerability, I need to kind of protect and take care of. Um, So when I talk to my teams a lot, um, I speak, um, especially my senior leaders, I tell them that uh, to be able to be a good leader, you need to have people to lead. (laughs) You know, you need to have people who don't shut down the moment you're telling them something. You know, you need to be able to get across what you want to say and don't let that be said in a tone that they you know stop listening to and um, so when i'm the most angriest i speak the softest because then they are listening to my content and not worrying about my tone uh because and i think that's a that that that's something that you know allows me to first calm myself you Mm -hmm. know and you know i'm controlling myself so my voice is softer but also it really makes people lean into me and listen mm-hmm. uh, to something quite if I had said it in a different tone would have been unheard right <laughs> this is so much of self-work this will not happen if you are not observant of each action that you take or every conversation that you go through and as a coach I feel it has been my practice training to evaluate every sentence that comes out of my mouth. Yeah. But as a leader, very few people pay attention to what you just said. This is, this is oh. simple, but not <laughs> for sure. Yeah, I think one learns as one uh, goes through your career, you learn the things you want to emulate. Mm-hmm. And you also learn things that you definitely don't want be you know you had experiences where you are you are shown the other side and you said no I'm not being that so I have to figure a other other version of myself oh 100% 100% I mean so many you know um, you know and um, there was one when I just started my career and uh, this was in Pune in Thermax Um, and I was in the software development um, team and I, I, I was thrown a new project in a new city. Uh, I just got married, moved to a new city. Uh, I was under a new uh, team. They gave me, um, and I'm an engineer uh, by um, education, and I was doing, you know, process controls, instrumentation kind of work. But um, I was given completely a new language to learn and start working on a project live, you know. So it was a lot going on. Um, how old were you? If I, I was 22, okay. I think. Yeah, 22. <laughs> um, and I was just, I started working. And of course, I wasn't quite there yet, you know. Um, and my boss then 
um, his name to be kept confidential. Um, you know, behind my back, and we didn't have laptops. We used to have desktops. Right. Went in, logged into my computer, and printed out my code. Printed out my code and took it to his boss to show him how crap I was. Oh my god! Now, That's I don't know. I don't know what he got out of it. I think he felt he looked better. You know, he looked like he knew himself. Yeah, and uh, he and when I saw that, and of course, it was a big shock for somebody young in the you know new to the oh, workforce oh. Um, and so on. Um, you know, I was I was very sure that I would make it my mission that people who work for me, I wasn't measured by how much smarter than them I was. I was measured in my own eyes. I was measured by how successful they became how in my nice. team. And how, how nice. Okay. So okay. I think, you know, you imbibe some of these things that went wrong for you, um, you know, and you say, growing okay, up while, while, while growing up. Yes, <laughs> exactly. So one of the interesting things, if I have to look at your handwriting is you are a strategist. I'm looking at your lowercase letter F. And there are no loops uh, on the top or at the bottom. Mostly there are these vertical lines with a dash in the middle uh, showing that when you strategize uh, and only a person who can delegate can strategize and be at rest. Because if you cannot trust people, then yeah. you will have to plan and micromanage and get into the nitty gritties of it. But if you have this as a trait, that also shows that you've been doing it for a very long time. Even when you were not in the position that you are now, but even when you had a very small team, that time also you trusted, which means you got reprimanded for their mistakes. You collectively, you know, did not achieve the deadlines because people are not good at delivering on what they promise they will. How did you manage that? Oh, I, I think, you know, um, as a team, you've got to win and lose together. You know, it, it's really a, a, a band of sisters. <laughs> and, and, you know, and my um, very often we as a team uh, would talk about it, that the fun of being together is the fact that we would go to arms for each other. Uh, of course, internally, we had our differences, uh, you know, uh, whether people were reporting into me or with each other, and I'm talking about the last you know, 10 years, of mm. course there were differences. But knowing that when we were uh, combined, when it was the external world, we could finish each other's sentences. We, we were okay. so close you know, as a team. Yeah. I think the strategic part is in um, really realizing that actually we are human beings. And that is the most important thing beyond genius, beyond, you know, anything else, your background, who, what you can achieve, da, 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 da. If you can be human yourself and those traits, which are about compassion for each other, empathy, strength, knowing that we are learning together and I'm learning today, you know every day and I get inspired by people with the way they respond and what they do every single day and I hope I stay that young in the future you know because I think there is a feeling of I've got to still learn I've got to still learn and I, I hope I never lose that um, 
<laughs> if we all do that and we don't feel that we are in a position of being judgmental uh, because we know it all, you know, oh. we are the last word on everything. Um, that makes all the difference in a team when they're interacting with each other. In my research uh, with high performers, this one aspect that you just spoke about, the ability to learn and unlearn what you have already mastered and got recognized for and got appreciated for is one of the most commonly found trait, which otherwise people do not have. They associate their success with their self-worth and they believe the very moment I'm successful, I'm a better person. But most high performers don't think like that. And I think that's phenomenal. We're going to continue our conversation after a short segment break. And I will see you all. I, you know, we'll continue talking about Tripti's handwriting and about what questions she has in spite of being so sorted in her head on the other side of the segment. Welcome to the new segment of the Absolutely Right podcast season three called The Stroke of Graphology. Every time you write, though you do not know what the stroke would mean and where the meaning is going, the handwriting is based on some micro hand movements regulated by your brain, giving away some interesting, unique information about who you are, how you think, how you make your decisions. Today's stroke of graphology is called the variable slant. When you look at a handwriting sample, look for letter L, B, D, H, T, basically any letter with long upward extensions. Every writing will either go to the left, stay straight or go to the right. Variable slant in the writing means the handwriting moves to both directions. Sometimes it goes to the left or right or left or right. Now you may think it's just a slant. How does it matter? Slant means emotional responsiveness. If the writer has both the slants, then their emotional responsiveness is unpredictable. They feel impulsive. Sometimes they overreact to situations and other times they withdraw as if they do not have any emotional connect whatsoever. They come across as unreliable or unpredictable people. They struggle with being consistent and keeping commitments. Other people feel they are not trustworthy. But the actual problem is they feel extreme amount of turmoil within when they are dealing with situations. Every small emotional stimulus can drive them crazy, can make them feel uncomfortable or insecure. If you find the stroke, then please try journaling because people around you might not understand what you are going through. Graphology is a powerful tool. I call it the love of my life because every time I look at handwriting strokes, I feel as if it's poetry on paper. If you want to learn more about graphology and how handwriting strokes can reveal certain things about your family members, your kids, your bosses and your colleagues, you can join our graphology masterclass. You will find the information on my website aditisurana.com. Now let's continue with our conversation with Tripti because we still have some interesting lessons to learn. So Tripti, over to you. What questions do you have that I can answer? Okay, so I thought about it actually. And I had one was, um, from your understanding of my personality based on uh, my handwriting, am I... um, embodying the right leadership style for someone who's leading a region um you know 11 countries and so on so it's 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 fairly large um do you think my leadership style is appropriate or does it need to change in any way that you could tell 
Okay. So as a, as a coach, I do not have uh, the, like, I do not agree with leadership styles as boxes. I always feel like the best leadership style is a subjective one where you bring in your best possible version and where you feel light on your toes at the same times, you know, that you are being, you're doing justice to your role. And in that moment to that person you're speaking with, and, you know, also keeping the results in mind, as I discussed people and results, both these things you thrive on. Many leaders learn to deal with people because they want to achieve results. In your case, it's the exact opposite. You love people and dealing with them and results happen or that is like a journey or a trip that all of you take towards those objectives that you want to achieve, which I feel fundamentally is very different compared to most leaders that you might have come across and I have come across. Definitely. So it's phenomenal to begin with. You are a great listener, which means that I'm saying this also because one of the handwriting strokes is uh, letter E where the loop of the E is open. Anybody with that open E can literally put their heart into ears and listen to people. The other trait that I see is a little antenna on the lowercase letter P, P for parrot, P for Paris. Now that little antenna talks about the argumentative nature that you can get into. So when you're listening to people, you're observing them deeply. And what people do not understand that you can also argue to the T. Probably you don't choose to, probably you drop it because of your own practice and you know you have committed to not get go down that path. But people tend to think that if you are a great listener, that that means you agree with what they say. Not anymore, but yeah. that, that has a personality type and I feel it happens more in the personal relationships than professional relationships. I think you could be right, you know, absolutely. Um, I, I don't think at work, um, you know, people people know that I will conclusively come to a decision and that but we are all there in the journey together. But, right. you know, they'll all kind of say, OK, so we've had everyone's point of view. I, we've listened and um, what are we deciding and so on. And that, that's not a problem. But I do think at home I do uh, enforce uh, <laughs> more. <laughs> yeah, I, I was do. waiting for the word that you would use. <laughs> See, it's a nice word. <laughs> yes, at home, agree. <laughs> yeah, so I do agree with you. I think so that's I true. your signature, however, which has only your initial T in the instead of your entire name, talks about how sacrificing you are. That means that you can be enforcing in the moment when you are communicating something or you want your kids to follow certain things because they're really, really important. But having said that, when it comes to making the larger decisions at large, you have been very self-sacrificing. I, I don't think I, I wouldn't call it sacrificing. I think it's lifestyle change, you know, choices okay. uh, and life choices you make, you know, for yourself. It's quite selfish, actually, you know, like uh, <laughs> so, you know, as an example, um, I've quit working for two years each time I had a child, you know, so I would stop working altogether and then try to figure out how to get back into the... But why uh, would you do that? Like you could have continued working and... I could have. I think in, in India at the time, the support infrastructure for, you know, creches or daycare was non-existent. Mm. Um, and uh, 
um, I wanted to spend more time with my babies when they were babies. Um, so I, uh, the first time, for example, I quit working for two years and then um, it was actually, and it was a taboo, you know, for women, mm, you know, to be career women uh, and so on. Uh, I'm surprised to, to know this that around 1.1 million women stopped working just during the pandemic because okay. they realized that they just can't continue. Managed. The support system wasn't there. Yeah. And what you're saying probably is not even an old issue. It's something that's happening yeah. right now. Even now. Yeah. And I don't understand why the men didn't stop working, you know, uh, and or as a family, they didn't decide together for whom it makes more sense yeah. uh, to stop working. But, you know, at, at the time when I was making those decisions, it was mm -hmm. absolutely natural uh, mm -hmm. and normal for the woman to do it. I had a huge support system at home with my father-in-law. Okay. Um, he was absolutely wonderful. He was like, oh, you are going to go back to work. What are you so, saying? Oh my yeah, God. he was like, you That's have so to unexpected in that setting that you're describing. Wow. He was amazing. And then he would tell me how to go back to work. So he's like, because I, I started when we were, uh, you know, in the mainframe era and then it went to client server solutions and so on. So mm -hmm. in the two years that I was off from work, technology changed. Right. So at the time, so he was like, you have to go to NIIT, you have to do these following courses, you have That's to get these great. certificates and you have to come back, um, which was amazing because he was constantly at it. Imagine if he wasn't. Yeah. Imagine if oh I God. have someone, you know, who was like condescending your, and not, not or who yeah. looked, made it difficult and he made it so easy for me. And even uh, kind of when I went back, um, I wanted to do half day first before I went full time because my baby was still young. So I would pick up random work, you know, mm -hmm. like uh, the first time uh, that I went back, I went into from hardcore technology uh, engineering into mm -hmm. doing training because that had a straight shift you know mm -hmm. so I, and we were yeah. in the gulf in muscat at the time so i went to because they have split timing so you work from eight to one and then four to eight right you get a siesta time in the afternoon and i was like what am i going to do with my baby so i right. took that as an option so i've made lifestyle choices or life choices that was selfish, that were about me, about my desire to what, it wasn't a sacrifice at all. It was what I needed to do for myself. And I think that was it. <laughs> That's wonderful, actually. I, I haven't heard this perspective on sacrifice as actually being selfish because that would make you happier in a long run, yeah. that you played yeah. the role as a mother to your yeah. fullest contentment. That's so, <laughs> and the second time that you uh, you had a baby, you did the same thing again. I did the same thing, but this time because I had become a veteran at going back to work <laughs> <laughs> and starting from the you know bottom rung of the ladder and working my way up. Right. Um, I joined this engineering company, but you know they were hardcore engineering. Uh, again, they did risk management uh, software development um, mm -hmm. in Delhi. Uh, we had come back to India at the time, but the only work I could get was uh, to write user manuals about a software product they were developing. Okay. So I could take it home and work from home. Okay. Uh, and, <laughs> Way so before again, it was in, in, it was in Vogue. 
I know. Yeah. I was doing, uh, you know, work from home much before <laughs> the pandemic hit us. Uh, and then I, you know, again, worked my way through to leading the marketing team, then leading the sales and marketing team, to being posted in the US and so on. So, you know, I've been very lucky with the choices I've made because I've had support um, within the family and from bosses, you know, um, you know, who were like, yeah, yeah, do it. We, yeah, we'll figure it out. Yeah, we'll figure it out. So that's quite amazing. So you said it was band of sisters when you're describing your team. Why band yes. of sisters? Was like they were mostly women or no? Um, so actually, at VML Wynar, we have so many strong women at very very senior positions. Wow. We've got four, five country CEOs who are women. Wow. are uh, excluding me. I mean, I'm the Asia uh, leader, but all of them are women. <laughs> our chief creative officer is a woman. Our chief people officer is a woman. Uh, so we have a band of sisters <laughs> as well. Um, I definitely think that women um, are more empathetic. Uh, you know, um, they bring real, um, I'm going to use a very hackneyed word, but diversity. Uh, mm-hmm. into every situation they bring perspectives that sometimes are ignored uh, mm-hmm. you know when we are making decisions um, they don't always p- pick performance over character you know and I think character is equally important uh, mm-hmm. as, as and by performance I mean degrees or you know which college are you from yeah yada, yada. They'll, they'll basically be- only the past of yeah. the person where they have been versus yes. where they can go and or what they're willing to do right yeah. now. Yeah. The potential as well. So, uh, and uh, I think it's also infectious, the kind of personalities that work with each other, because mm-hmm. then you hire other people like you and, mm-hmm. you know, treat other people the way you've been treated. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that works well as a company culture because uh-huh. um, the culture of the company is so important. Um, especially today when, uh, you know, a lot of the workforce we have hasn't even met each other, you oh, know. Yeah. Oh my God, yes. They, so, have, they have no clue. And, and, you know, being a behavioral analyst, I wonder that you have no clue about the other person's behavior because you don't have data points. Yeah. The only screen and probably emails that you read is the only way you can look at a person or understand them, but you don't know uh, how they stand, how they walk, what exactly they do in their break times is where we actually build the understanding about other people. Yeah, yeah. 100%. And, you know, the, the, the coffee machine conversations or the water cooler conversations are so yeah. important because you actually get to know each other and see each other and everything else in between. <laughs> coach the Coach, the new segment in the third season of the Absolutely Right podcast. Every leader must hone some coaching skills to actually learn how to deal with the complicated, difficult, emotionally charged conversations with their team members. At the end, your job becomes easier if other people take ownership of what they do. Most leaders and also coaches must hold other people accountable. But here is the tricky part. The very moment you ask people, why are you not doing what you're supposed to do? Why haven't you done things? Instead of answering the questions, you know, things become awkward and people start coming up with excuses, reasons, you know, ways in which they thought it wasn't a priority. It becomes messy. This weekend, I was in Guwahati talking to some 70 plus entrepreneurs and business owners about high performance mindsets. 
One of the questions I was asked there by a business owner was, I feel extremely triggered when people do not own up to their mistakes or they do not take responsibility or show inefficiency. What should I do here? As a coach, when I hold other people accountable, I come across this situation almost every other day. If you ask people, why haven't you done something? Give me the reasons for it. They become defensive. They start escaping the situation. But in that moment, instead of confronting them, as both of you know that the work is not done and it was a priority and it should have been done, ask them, when can you do this? By when do you think it would be completed? It shows that you understand there was a mistake, you respect their choice and at the same time, you're holding them accountable for the work to be done. It is not only rewording what you say, but actually operating from a different space of leadership when you are willing to hold people accountable without blaming them. If this change in perspective, if this hack of coaching works for you, then do let me know. My email ID is right, W-R-I-T at aditisurana.com. Let's continue our conversation with Tripti as we have some really interesting leadership lessons coming up. So I know you are deep into your spiritual practice. What do you do to be mentally and emotionally fit on a regular basis? So I am very boring. Uh, so <laughs> that's where it starts. I am vegetarian, teetotaler. <laughs> Uh-huh. wake up at 4 a.m. every morning uh-huh. uh, to get plenty of me time. So uh, I thrive on me time uh, where I can spend time meditating. I can go um, for physical activity, walks, yoga, um, you know, all the things that give me. I think discipline is um, everyday discipline is so important to keep you mentally healthy. Um, and Which means I having routines. What yes, does it mean? Yes, absolutely. Routines, whatever, whatever you feel happy about, you know. So, uh, for me, it's everyday meditation, everyday a walk or yoga, everyday being able to study. Um, mm-hmm. And I try to go out of my depth. I, I like being out of my depth because it makes me feel like I can still learn. Mm-hmm. Um, if I stop learning, I think that'll be the day when I know my time has come, you know, <laughs> to move on. So, uh, you know, I have been doing this early morning meditation every day as, a, as, a, as my journey in last, I think, from the last four years. And I have turned into the boring person, but now I'm suddenly very hopeful because yes. my friends look at me like, what's up with you? Why have you stopped doing all the fun things? But yes. I'm like, I have a better game plan now. <laughs> Yeah, you redefine fun, right? <laughs> yes, of course. And I must tell you that this has led to so much of calmness. The work has become phenomenal and the intensity with which you can involve has yeah. become much more, I think, sharper, more agile. So there are other benefits to exactly what you just said. I know. And that's why I'm never tense, you know, because I'm going to go to bed at 10, you know. <laughs> so how, how do you deal with it? So if it is a triggering situation, Can you give us a situation which was extremely difficult, very triggering, and you did not lose your calm? Why? What happened? Like, what did you do? How did you think about it? I think all my uh, studies in Buddhism have essentially shown me that every situation um, is subjective, which means that it's your interpretation of that situation 
that you think is the truth. Wow. Which is not the truth. Okay. Uh, which is never the truth. And if you can just reconcile that I don't have the right version of the truth, mm. you're going to be phenomenally calm because you're going to be, I've got it wrong. You know, it's, it's fine. You know, mm. I'm feeling this, 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 this right now because, you know, finally all the situations that happen to you, they impact you um, in a way that drives emotion. So contact drives emotion, right? Uh, but you're like, okay, I'm just feeling like that. Actually, there's another version of it, uh, the I truth that seen. I don't, I haven't seen. And mm. um, I'm always open to that because that's the, nothing is objectively real uh, in the way it stands. And if you can just imbibe that, and it took me a long time. There were some discussions happening um, at uh, work uh, a few years back. Um, and... Um, for some reason, I felt very excluded, uh, as if people were going around me to make sure I didn't hear, you know, okay. uh, about what was going on. And what is generally known as office politics, as, as people <laughs> label it. Oh, there was office politics. They didn't include me, or they didn't make yeah. sure that I wasn't aware. Okay. Yeah, and I, I. Um, started getting a feeling of, oh my God, this is terrible. I'm not being included, blah, blah, blah. And I just kept repeating to myself, there's another version of this, which I'm not aware of, aware of, uh, because I'm sure. And that I'm sure of every truth that I see mm-hmm. is not true. Okay. Uh, that's a mantra. So that flashes in my head and I'm like, okay, so I'm, I will find out eventually what it is if I'm meant to know what it is. Right. And Eventually, we found, uh, I found out that um, information was being withheld with a view to protect me, actually, so that if I didn't have that information, I wasn't liable to knowing the information. You know, it was a work situation. So they were like, if we don't tell her, she doesn't have to know. So she doesn't have to be in this adverse situation, um, which I had taken to be one of exclusion. It wasn't of exclusion at all it was for protection um exactly opposite technically exactly opposite and usually that'll be the case you know so i hope so i hope that happens to people their office politics turns out to be actually an act of kindness actually this conversation reminds me of a quote by dr deepak chopra where he says deepak chopra is a fictional character stop taking him seriously (laughs) exactly (laughs) So uh, this Buddhism or in general spirituality, if we have to bring it in leadership, what could be the three things you would tell us? Okay, that that would be very interesting. Um, Empathy is not something that um, sits in meditation halls, you know, or in the social work that you do. Um, I think if we could take empathy and use that as really a superpower, Mm. um, in conjunction with, in conjunction with business sense in our everyday lives with our teams, our bosses, uh, everyone that we work with, um, it will not only be the best for business, it will make sure that we bring the best out of people and help them to become the best version of themselves. 
And if we do that, then I think that is the biggest success we have. So how do you implement empathy before we get to the next point? What what would you say? How can somebody like, you know, on a daily basis, what can you do to be empathetic? I think the first thing is there is no absolute right or wrong. You know, that's the first thing. Uh, And we constantly are fighting to say we are right. You know, every argument that you've had with anybody, if you really analyze it, it's to prove that you are right, you know. Uh, And you'll go around. In the last few minutes, I'm just like, oh my God, those three things, I could have (laughs) looked at the other perspective. And and so many memories are flashing in my mind. I'm sure that's the same thing happening to our listeners. Yes. (laughs) So I think uh, empathy about, you know, the other person's point of view is valid. Um, It may not be absolutely 100% relevant to what we need, but is a valid viewpoint Mm. and the respect that generates, um, even if it's a wrong viewpoint from in our perspective, Mm. you know, and I've gone through this again, none of us are right. So if you can just be, it's a perspective, it's their perspective, let's come to an agreement on the perspective we are going to use. I think that's what empathy is. What you're saying is we can calmly, firmly disagree Yes. But we need not be disrespectful if you disagree. 100%. Yes. Okay. Respect uh, is so important. Um, and that can only come if you think the person is not crap. You know, oh, it's always coming up with these stupid ideas. There are no stupid. And I don't mean that in the, you know, uh, I know. I the know term it's used every day. I and mean, it's like, really, people have value. And if we can just help to say, yeah, this is valuable. Let's use this another time. But right now, maybe X, Y, Z. And you can be firm about they that. They can actually rephrase the same thing and they did not agree with it. Yeah. And they listen to them. They can yeah. actually find a midway. Yeah, exactly. Because so exactly. many people have told me this. If I listen to them, I will have to agree to what they're saying. And what they're saying is, is stupid or I don't agree with it to a point yeah. that I avoid listening or avoid even giving that platform. So great. Absolutely. Thank you. <laughs> Second okay. one. The second one is, you know, in, again, going back to spirituality, um, you know, it's like you will continue to be reborn till everybody is liberated. Okay. So at a very extreme level, which means that it's the success of everyone that you lead. That's important, not your wow. success. Right. So if you can learn from that and say, um, I want the success of every single person. Uh, that I lead, the people I hire, the people I train, um, and therefore complementary skills, uh, skills that I don't have that will help us in each other, our success would be very valuable. I think that's another perspective. Um, Again, it's a matter of respect because you're respecting other people's perspectives and their expertise and helping them uh, to reach their goal. And um, I wrote that in the handwriting sample I sent you because one of my favorite quotes is by Ram Das, mm-hmm. um, which is about we're all just walking each other home. Oh my God, yes. <laughs> I love that one. I, I just absolutely love that. It's on the wall um, in my bedroom. Um, so I think knowing that we're all walking together on this journey and some people are walking further, some people are walking on sides, uh, but we're all work- walking. But all of us have to reach that end goal. Uh, that's against spirituality, practice of real life. Yes. Yeah. It's also like something that they call inclusive leadership. Every yes. single person is part of the whole and you can't miss that person. And 
objectively when leaders look at hiring and firing and having people or how much money are we spending wasting on this one position it becomes all number based but what you are saying is beyond all these numbers there are people and yeah. they will have their challenges and and we know many organizations who chose not to downsize during the pandemic because they realized that it is important that we create a culture of inclusive leadership absolutely yeah. 100% third point um i think the last point uh, on this one is that um i think it's so important that you are not always taking front charge okay that you are taking back charge okay again it's not about sacrifice <laughs> i am curious i would have known more about this one. oh my god uh, because you know you are not going to be in every single meeting that your teams are going to have with clients you know unless you can make thousand versions clones of yourself so the your success lies not in replicating yourself but in being able to give people their best strongest version or you know providing that um, environment. environment ecosystem my job is just to make other people successful yeah. if i was going to you know summarize what i what my job is right it's my job to make sure my exco and my country leaders are successful mm-hmm. not that i am directly the one every time who's doing the work but that they are feeling empowered they have all the tools they have techniques they have the infrastructure the training and they have me as a sounding board to anything that they need um to talk about so i think we are led and and I, that that trickles down you know it will go from the country ceo to their department heads to their leaders and so on and it's providing that culture of making sure that the front line at every level feels empowered mm-hmm. um feels that they are enough you know uh they don't feel any sense of self doubt that our job needs to be uh that that culture trickles down to every every day i have two questions rather practical in this context now when you are being the the person creating the ecosystem and i've had leaders in the past asking me this in our coaching sessions i think it would be relevant for our our listeners too that if i keep creating the environment and do not take credit and if i have people in my team who take credit for my work how would i be noticed for the good work that i do that's my first question i i find uh, i'm slightly baffled i'll tell you why because it will never happen that you know it it just can't happen that if your people are successful that you don't get success right mm-hmm. um and i mean that i take one of my countries and their uh, md is or ceo is fantastically successful mm-hmm. their kpis roll into my kpis so obviously that part of the success i've managed to get you know mm-hmm. so you need to be noticed and appreciated for the right things well said you know so i would rather be appreciated for being an organization builder than a reputation builder wow so i i think that's it because 
if I'm building the right organization, I'm enabling my people, I'm going to get to my success naturally. I don't have to strive to be in every single speaking engagement uh, in town. And some of some people make it a point to be there, you mm-hmm. know, or to be interviewed by media all the time or any of the things that are traditionally seen as success metric. Mm-hmm. You know, if I'm running a region, the success of my region which is a success of not just me ever, right. you know, it is a success of every single person who contributes to that. So I would match, it would naturally happen. I think my second question is what if someone does not have that natural ability to, to share, you know, some people are driven by their personal objectives or they are independent or self-sufficient in many ways. But as we talk about leadership, which is inclusive, it's an essential you know, part of you understanding where other person is coming from. What can these people do? Like, can they cultivate that thing or should they know their limitations? I think um, character divided up into what it is made of is all about cultivation. Well said. Right? I'm going to make notes. I'm going to listen to this again. It's phenomenal. Yeah. You know, and uh, every aspect of character is a muscle. The more you train it, the more you cultivate it, you will be able to hone the benefits of that, right? Um, You need to be lucky enough to be uh, self-aware. And if you are not self-aware, and a lot of people are not self-aware, that you you have the opportunity to have people around you, mentors uh, that enable you to become self-aware. And that is one of our key um, jobs as leaders, to help people to know what their strengths are, not just to sweet talk them, but to be able to point out their weaknesses as well. And I won't even call it a weakness, the muscles that they need to train. It's like when you go to the gym and the trainer tells you, your biceps are crap, you know, and you're like, okay, I'll work on it. You don't say my biceps are crap and so be it, you know, you you take it on board and you exercise that muscle and they tell you how to do it if you're open. You know, um, we started a few months back, uh, we started India's first mental gym called APT. And the idea is exactly what you just said, that if you do not have a muscle of, say, decision making or listening skills or understanding how to process your emotional baggage, you should be given tools and like, like equipments in the gym you should know the process that you can oh follow God, to simply get it. So, yeah. I, I can't agree more. And this is so beautiful. You know, today you made inclusive leadership. So sounds so easy. It, you just made it effortless. And I think that is one of the biggest uh, key takeaways for me from today's conversation, because I feel when people make it inclusive, they, they talk about, you know, how they are working hard. And for you, other people in your team are the heroes and heroines of the game. I felt like more of an Avenger team instead of like you being the oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cool. That's cool. <laughs> favorite, favorite series. I rewatch it all the time. <laughs> Thank you so much, Ripti. This was wonderful. I personally have learned so many things and I'm going to, make notes and implement them in my way of coaching. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us one more time on the Absolutely Right podcast. I hope today's conversation got your attention on how much can you do to be calm in a conversation to make sure that you focus on other people's growth and in turn become the leader that you're truly capable of becoming. 
Last week in the previous episode I interviewed Maharani of Baroda Radhika Raze Gaikwad we spoke about how being responsible for the community the culture basically our heritage can help us be better in future as leaders check out that episode to know more about the royal approach to leadership one of the questions that i asked tripti is what do you do on a daily basis for your emotional and mental fitness the question is also valid for you and if the answer is not much kind of sometimes then do check out india's first mental gym called apt the website is aptmentalgym.com changing behaviors building high performance mindset and most importantly dealing with your emotions on a regular basis requires practice on a weekly basis join us as we walk you through different emotional and mental tools and models that you can implement right away to be mentally and emotionally fit and truly build the high performance mindset i'll see you next week with one more episode of the absolutely right podcast till then happy writing mm-hmm.